We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. Hey, this is George Kittle, and you're listening to Candlestick Chronicles. New England sending QB Jimmy Garoppolo to 49ers. We believe we found the right guy. Garoppolo, quick pass, caught by Kittle. He dives, and he's in. Touchdown. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Candlestick Chronicles, the 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Network. My name is Chris Biederman. I cover the 49ers for the Sacramento Bee. With me, the guy who's here most of the time, Kyle Madsen of NinersWire.com of the USA Today Sports Media Group and a midday producer over at 95.7 The Game. Kyle, what's happening? Not much, man. I'm, I'm sitting here with a couple of angry cats who are mad that I'm not feeding them because I podcast in their room right now because my office and the new house is not quite set up yet. Your cats have their own room? Uh, no. Yes. No. <laughs> well, I, it, ne- You've never explained this before. So we just, we have a, we have a guest room basically, but that's where the cats food bowls and stuff are and their chair that they destroyed from our last house that we just brought with us. So they would just keep destroying that instead of the new furniture. Um, so this is sort of technically their room for now. Uh, but if we ever, uh, expand the family here, we're imagining that a, you know, like a small human would go in this room instead. Sure. Um, but for now it belongs to the cats. Wow. Humble brag. Room to spare. Homeowner in in the Bay Area. I'm sitting, I, here, I'm sitting I, here in the South Bay with, with roommates in, in a, I think my room is 10 by 10, maybe. Oh, yeah. tough scene. Yeah. It's, but uh, you live, hey, you live in a way nicer area than I do, so. 
that's debatable. Pros and cons. Pros and cons. <laughs> uh, anyway, we are back to preview the 49ers' pivotal Week 16 game Saturday night at Levi Stadium against the LA Rams, who uh, did not look good on Sunday when they got pounded by the Cowboys, 44 to 21. A game that was never particularly close. Uh, the Cowboys went into halftime with a 28-7 lead. And uh, it just wasn't really a spirited performance from the Rams who basically now have to win or else their season is effectively over because they're two games behind the Minnesota Vikings for the final playoff spot in the NFC with two weeks left. So I don't know really what to make of the Rams going into this game. We've talked a lot about the 49ers and where they're at and how these final two games mean just about everything in terms of playoff seeding but in terms of what to expect from the Rams it could go either way in that they could come out and throw the kitchen sink at the 49ers and rebound and play really well which is what happens a lot particularly from teams that um, can can be good sometimes like the Rams are eight and six they're one of those teams that has shown flashes of being pretty good they beat the Seahawks obviously a couple weeks ago but it could also be a scenario where they look at the road ahead and they just don't have the emotional energy, maybe a, a prolonged Super Bowl hangover type situation after losing last year to the Patriots and that they see the road ahead and say, all right, maybe we, because no matter what they do, if the Vikings win one of their remaining two games, the Rams are going to be eliminated. And so uh, it's, it's unlikely that the Rams are going to make it, so I'm I'm unsure of what to expect from LA coming into Levi Stadium on Saturday. Where are you at with the Rams and and your impressions from their game Saturday or Sunday against the Cowboys? Division games are always super weird, so I don't think there's any scenario where this is going to be easy for the 49ers. When you look at their five four division games to this point, two very strange, difficult games against the Cardinals a very difficult game against the Seahawks and a game against the Rams that they won by 13, but that was no smooth sailing for, for San Francisco. If you recall that game back in week six. So I don't think there's any scenario where this is going to be really an easy one for the 49ers, but based on it last week, as bad as the 49ers looked, the Rams looked abundantly worse and they looked if you think the 49ers looked sluggish, the Rams looked like the football field at AT&T Stadium in Arlington, Texas, was the last place they wanted to be in the universe. Yeah, it was those, really bad. Some of those second half runs, I mean, they allowed, what, 263 yards? Of yeah. Rushing, including two 100-yard rushers, uh, including Zeke Elliott. There were a lot of those runs where it was like, man, these guys just don't even look like they want to tackle anybody. It was 44 to 21 was the final, which is an ass kicking. And it wasn't even that close. I think the Rams scored with 40 seconds left or something like that. Yeah. They got a Todd Gurley touchdown and two point conversion super late in that game. <laughs> like it, just, it was, it was, uh, it was bad. And if, if you're worried about the 49ers because of, their performance last week go go watch just some rams cowboys highlights and i think i think you'll feel better yeah so some news of the week let's get to it before we dive into that game a little bit more and talk about matchups and, and things like that the pro bowl rosters were announced uh in somewhat of a surprise the 49ers had just four starters named george kittle tight end nick bosa defensive end cornerback richard sherman fullback kyle use 
none of those guys are surprises, but the 49ers did have eight alternates. Eric Armstead, DeForest Buckner, Jimmy Garoppolo, Fred Warner, Joe Staley, Raheem Mostert, Jimmy Ward, and Weston Richburg. Uh, what stood out to me initially was the fact that the 49ers had just four, and I thought Eric Armstead had a really good chance of making it. Um, Fred Warner had a pretty good chance of making it. Uh, some of the other names, you know, Jimmy Ward is somebody who obviously we really like, um, and we might be alone. <laughs> in that I, th- line I think of thinking, I think but... our buddy Jared Brown is a big Jimmy Ward guy as well. Okay, shout out to Jared Brown. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we uh, we own property on Jimmy Ward Island, the proud the proud mayors of uh, of that island. But the the surprising thing to me, I mean, I thought Armstead definitely should have made it, just given the fact he's a team he has more sacks than anybody else on the team. The Niners. Are, sec- are tied for second in the league, actually technically third in the league, with 47 sacks. The Panthers and Steelers have 49, I believe. But the 49ers have had the best defense in the conference, and Eric Armstead has been the best player on the d- best defensive line in the league throughout the uh, th- throughout the season. And Fletcher Cox made it. It's his fifth time making it. He's just had three and a half sacks. Armstead has 10. Um, and Grady Jarrett, who was a real big problem for the 49ers on Sunday, which is something we could also talk about. Uh, he made it, and I think he has just five and a half sacks. So if you want to go to just, you know, sack totals, which obviously doesn't tell the entire story, but I think Armstead sack numbers indicate that he is really good, obviously, and he's really good against a run. He's really versatile. And I have a hard time believing that three other defensive tackles in the NFC have had better seasons than him. But I think there are a few other factors at play, given the fact that Armstead also plays a lot of defensive end. I'm not sure if uh, that impacted the way voting shook out, like if his votes were split among positions. Um, I'm not really sure how that all works. And also with DeForest Buckner also deserving some consideration, obviously, Uh, Also, as an alternate, maybe there is a scenario where those two guys split the vote. Uh, You know, I I don't know if people wanted to have three 49ers defensive linemen on their ballots. Uh, So, you know, it is what it is. I mean, the Pro Bowl isn't really that big of a deal. We talked to Armstead about it today, and he basically said he's pissed off about it. He said, I'm mad. Uh, I don't understand the voting process, things of of that nature, which I think he's totally... um, in in the right to say things like that and and i also think there's something to the idea of pro bowl pro bowl balloting maybe being a little bit late in that like it takes a year for you to establish yourself before you get recognized um like fletcher cox has a lot of name recognition right even grady jared is somebody who's who has a lot of name recognition people didn't really know eric armstead as a productive player until this season because his previous four years there really hasn't been a whole lot there in terms of overall production. Right. He's missed a bunch of time with injuries. Uh, I don't think he's had more than three and a half sacks in a season before this year. So there is something to that, right or wrong. Here's, um, hey, here, but, I, but I think the point is he should have made it. Who has the best defensive line in the NFC? I think it's the 49ers. Okay, who leads their team in sacks? Uh, Eric Armstead. Okay, like Philly isn't that good. <laughs> Uh, Philly isn't that good. Like they're, they're not. If Fletcher Cox is having a good year, he's obviously not that impactful. Uh, it's just uh, Aaron Donald obviously deserves to make it. Uh, Aaron Donald is terrific, but, uh, I think when you look at Fletcher Cox specifically, 
Um, all, all the points you just said, and Robert Sala even touched on it. He got asked about it today in his press conference, and he said, I think sometimes that Pro Bowl thing can be a popularity vote, and that's exactly what this was. Right. Um, if Eric Armstead was on his third year in a row of, of 10 sacks, I think he would have made it in. Or if even if the 49ers had been better over the last couple of seasons and he had the numbers he had, I, I think he makes it in this year. But uh, the fact of the matter is, is the Niners have been pretty irrelevant for as long as Armstead has, has been around. And I don't think there was really any level of production that was, was going to get him the nod over, over a guy like, like Cox and certainly not over a guy like Aaron Donald. Yeah. And, and it's, I think when people look at the 49ers defensive line, just nationally, they Nick Bosa is the first guy they think about. Yeah. Right. Like he was a star in college at a high profile program, played in some high profile games. Armstead was, you know, not super productive at Oregon. He was, um, you know, kind of a fringe first round prospect for a lot of the time leading up to his draft. And then he sort of gained some steam despite not being super productive with Oregon. And it's not like Oregon. uh, I mean, Oregon obviously played in a lot of high profile games when Armstead was there, but it wasn't like Armstead was over there dominating. And there is the West coast bias thing or the East coast bias against the West coast, maybe when it comes to college football in terms of, um, you know, broadcast windows or whatever. The, The point being, I think, people nationally associate Nick Bosa more with the 49ers defense and their run that they're on as, as probably the best defense in the NFC before Armstead. Um, just because Bosa's had some signature moments, right? He had the Baker Mayfield thing. He had the game against the Panthers where he had three sacks in the interception. Um, he's had some notable quotes. Armstead's mostly a guy who's, who's pretty quiet and isn't in the media all that much. Um, so it could just be, like you said, like Bosa is, is the popular guy and people, because the Niners are sort of new to the scene, didn't want to vote multiple Niners to that uh, Pro Bowl defensive line. But one thing I did think was interesting, that the 49ers, uh, when when they turned things around in 2011 under Jim Harbaugh, they had nine Pro Bowlers in those two seasons in 2011-2012. So where they stood, they had first round buys in both of those seasons. Um, where they stood, like their turnaround story led to them having a ton of pro bowlers. And I think this team is maybe better than those teams. Maybe the defense isn't quite as good right now, maybe because it's a little bit banged up or maybe because um, it's just different. It's a different era of football in terms of what's allowed. Dante Whitner isn't, you know, there there aren't safeties drilling people in the head over the middle like Whitner did in, in that Saints playoff game in the divisional round. Um, but point being like, I thought it was interesting that that 49ers team had so many pro bowlers, nine, whereas this one just had four and you can make the case that this team is better. Yeah. I think, I think the youth on this roster has a lot to do with it too. Um, A guy like Fred Warner just isn't quite a national name yet. Fred Warner should absolutely be in the pro bowl, but Luke Keekley is in and Bob Wagner. Bobby Wagner is in, but Robert Wagner is in, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, so those are two guys who, who obviously have that name recognition and, and Wagner's on an excellent team. Um, Jimmy Ward hasn't really done anything up until this year. I, it, it's just, it comes down to, um, kind of popularity and such. And, and I just don't think the Niners have been, um, you know, I, I don't I don't think a they've been 
relevant for long enough. And B, frankly, when you looked at their 8-0 start, there was a pretty wide-ranging uh, discussion point that, hey, they're not as good as their record. They they haven't played anybody, and I think that, that plays into it as well because I think the Niners still at 11-3 at with three losses at the last second, uh, two of them to the Seahawks and Ravens, I think there's still this like, ah, see, they're not that good. And I think that kind of plays into it as well. Yeah, so I was, uh, I spent a lot of today as I pull out my notes. I was going to say, it sounds like you're rifling through papers. Rifling through my, my reporter's notebook. I did, I, I crunched a lot of numbers today about the 49ers defense because I'm running about it tomorrow. Uh, there's this pretty stark contrast from what the defense was during those first seven games of the year versus the last seven games. And a lot of that just comes from the fact that they didn't really play any good quarterbacks those first seven games, right? Like you can make the strong case that Jared Goff was the best quarterback the 49ers played in their first seven, and Goff isn't really lighting the world on fire this year, right? So right. 49ers in their first seven games, they, they allowed 224.4 yards per game. That's like historically good. Right. That's I, I I didn't go through and find, um, you know, the all time great defenses, but I would assume that some of the best defenses in history would be around that mark for an entire season. So I'm going to find it while you're talking. OK, find it. Let's see where 224 yards per game rank would rank all time um, in the in the meantime, in the last seven games, that number's up from 224 to 313 point six which is a pretty significant jump, but I also think that speaks to a few things. It speaks to the attrition the 49ers have dealt with on the defensive side, D. Ford being out, Quan Alexander being out. Um, you lose uh, Ronald Blair III, who is a who was a super valuable piece of the defensive line because I think he allowed um, you to, to rest a lot of you know rest Nick Bosa more than he than he's been playing Nick Bosa's played 94 percent of the snaps the last two games which were you know they tied his season high and he said this week he's never played more than he has recently and it's you know a guy who only played in three games last year coming off you know it's his first year like you talk about guys hitting the rookie wall it usually comes in November December Bosa's powering through I think his production has dropped a little bit because of it but Losing somebody like Ronnie Blair, losing Demontre Moore, um, now with D. Ford being out, you're relying a lot on Nick Bosa basically to be an every-down player now, so I think that factors into it. Um, the first seven games, the 49ers had 16 turnovers, 10 of which were interceptions. Uh, the last seven games, they've had 10 turnovers and only one interception. The Niners haven't had an interception since that Dre Greenlaw pick of Russell Wilson in overtime wow. in that November 11th loss on Monday night. Um, so that's problematic. The first seven games, the 49ers allowed a 58.02 passer rating, which I would also put in uh, just venturing a guess without the context of history, but I would guess that's historically good uh, over a full season, 58.02. Um, in the last seven games, 102.12. Uh, so that's that's good to very good right like quarterbacks and a lot of that is because there's been only one interception um and that heavily skews you know passer rating and passer rating obviously isn't a perfect statistic but i think you go through the quarterbacks the 49ers have played you know you, you talk about kyler murray twice russell wilson once aaron Rodgers, although he was not good in that game um 
Lamar Jackson, Drew Brees obviously blew up, and then Matt Ryan had a nice game on Sunday. Uh, you take out that um, that Saints game where Brees threw for five touchdowns, and the Niners are still allowing a 94.56 quarterback rating over their last six games. So that same stretch, just take out that Saints game to, to see how much the numbers were skewing. Skewing that overall, it's nine touchdowns to one interception. Point being is just that the Niners' defense, while still good, um, they're still second in the league in, in yards allowed, I believe, per game. And they're still way up there in a number of statistical categories. But the point being is that their production has dropped a little bit. And going into the playoffs, obviously you're going to play a lot of really good teams and a lot of really good quarterbacks. And if the 49ers are going to win those games, I think they're going to need to play a notch higher than than what they have been lately. Um, you know, not that they were atrocious against the Falcons. Allowing 299, 290 yards overall is is not terrible, but, you know, they need to play better than they did on that last drive. And the good news is, is they're going to have Richard Sherman back um, this week. Kwan Williams, their slot corner, who's also, uh, maybe it was a little bit surprising that he wasn't a Pro Bowler, or at least a Pro Bowl alternate, but given that he's a slot corner and, you know, maybe that doesn't carry the same weight as an outside corner, maybe that factored in, but um, I think he's been one of their better players, particularly in the secondary. Uh, so having having those two guys back and really only missing one player in their secondary as opposed to three like they were last week could be pretty important because the Rams do have a good group of pass catchers. Hey, do you think that it's a good idea that Richard Sherman plays? Because I'm not sure it's a great idea. It is a fantastic idea. He's probably going to get an all-pro nod this year. I don't know if he's going to be first team, but he'll probably be second team. Oh, no, I, I, I... It's not. It has nothing to do with like, hey, is Richard Sherman good? <laughs> like he's obviously a, an elite corner still. Yeah, but hamstring injuries are scary, man. And it's one of those things where we saw D Ford come back and immediately go down again. Uh, and instead of being out, you know, two or three weeks, now he's going to be out maybe until the playoffs. I think that's what Ian Rappaport reported today. Um, Can I read you a Richard Sherman quote? He went all. Uh kind of like motivational speaker today um let me see i would be upset if you okay here we go this is kind of a long answer basically sherman was asked like this is a grade two hamstring strain and typically that's like a three-week injury but you said you could have played last week and you're playing this week what's going on why why are you able to come back um so quickly so here's what sherman said and i quote I just play through it. At the end of the day, if you can walk, you can play. If you can walk, if I can walk, I can get to full speed. Now, if I ever felt like I was a detriment to the team and I couldn't get to full speed or couldn't function at a high level, then I'd sit my behind down because I'm not helping anybody. But I've always thought if I could play, I could help the team. I can get my foot in the ground and moving like I think I can move and I can be out there Then I'm helping the team. And a lot of it's mental. A lot of it is making sure you conquer your body mentally. I think sometimes when you're hurt or sick or down mentally, if you're pessimistic about the outlook, then things won't go right. Things won't heal. Things won't get better for you. But if you're optimistic, you believe that your body will do better. You believe your body can play through it. You believe that you can move forward. Then your body will make it happen. Your body can have your body can make miraculous and incredible things happen if your brain can convince convince it to make it happen. And I think that's just something that I realized at a young age. Outside of functional things, you tear a ligament, tear an Achilles, your body just won't physically allow you to overcome it. But most small ailments, and I consider this a small ailment, 
you can overcome. So basically, if there's anything happening in, in, uh, with your body and you're not pushing yourself through it, you're letting Richard Sherman down. So just keep that in mind. Kind of, kind of a mind over matter. I am letting Richard Sherman down every day. <laughs> I'm like, I should go to the gym. You know what? That thing in my neck, it hurt a couple days ago. Don't want it to become a serious thing. I'm taking the day off. <laughs> but I did think it was Sorry, interesting. Like, Sherm. yeah, if uh, if you think, you know, if you if you can be positive about it, you're you're gonna feel okay. I think that's kind of a thing that you don't hear a whole lot from uh, from anybody, particularly athletes. It's certainly an interesting way to look at health. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I I think from the Niners standpoint, like I I know they've been so conservative all year injury wise, and it's just. Uh, when I heard he was thinking about coming back, my initial reaction was there's no chance they let him play. But here we are. There's this it's just it, the, kinda, the hope like, is with, that it doesn't affect him long term. Yeah. Going into Seattle and, and then the playoffs. Yeah, that that's that's the biggest thing that he doesn't aggravate it because he did. He has left the last two games he's played in in the fourth quarter on the fi- on final drives, which proved to be big drives, right? Yep. He left the Ravens game with the knee sprain, and then he left the Saints game on that final drive, which they scored the go-ahead touchdown, um, and then didn't play last week. So, yeah, I mean, you're you're at the point now where Sherman's 31 years old. He, he obviously plays a position where physicality, the, the way you move is very important, and uh, yeah, you, you do worry about him straining something, but I mean, not, who who are any of us to tell Richard Sherman how to uh, how to treat his body? I think, I think he has a good grasp of what's going on. Uh, one thing I did want to mention, like, there's been a lot of talk. Well, oh, the Niners could lose, uh, the Niners could lose to the Rams and still win the division, and we talked about it in last week's pod, or the the pod earlier this week. And yeah, that's absolutely true. But uh, if you lose, you're in danger of not getting the first round by because the Saints and Packers still have the same record as you right now and the tiebreaker doesn't do any good if they have a game if, if they're a game up on you in the standings. <laughs> tiebreaker um, doesn't count if you're not tied. Write that down. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sources confirm. <laughs> um so it is an important game. Yeah, it's huge. Like winning winning the division is important so you get a home game, but that first round bye I think is as important as anything. Because you do want to get D Ford back. You do want Richard Sherman to be a more healthy version of Richard Sherman. Um, Quan Alexander, who is on injured reserve with a torn pec, can come back at any time. And he's been working out pretty hard. And the 49ers have not ruled him out. And the 49ers have not ruled him out. And they have not used their second. Um, and so it wouldn't be all that surprising if Quan Alexander returns. Okay. And one One thing. Hold on. One thing that's interesting about that is, you know, we talk about the first seven games versus the last sec- seven games. That turn is right when Alexander got hurt. Um, and I'm not saying Alexander's injury is the reason why there's been a downturn defensively, but it hasn't. That's not the reason why why there's a downturn defensively either. You, I don't even know if what I said just makes sense. Edit that out, editor. So. <laughs> Quan Alexander's injury came at the same time as this this turn statistically. And so obviously he's somebody you would want back in there if he can play. Now, I'm not a doctor. I do not know the implications of coming back early from a torn pectoral injury and how effective you can be as a linebacker, somebody who needs to shed blocks and use your chest 
uh, as often as a linebacker would, but I do think it would provide an emotional lift to the defense that maybe the 49ers haven't had since he's been out. Okay. Like you say, it wouldn't be a surprise. I would be stunned, flabbergasted, bamboozled, um, flummoxed. <laughs> so, so I would be, I- dude, a, a torn peck is one of those things that I have always associated with like that player is just done, put him on the shelf until the next season. It That's just, it's like an ACL. Like it's just, they're done. If Quan Alexander, let's even say, let's say the Niners go to the conference championship and Quan Alexander even practices. I would be shocked. That would be incredible. Just the, like, Maybe <laughs> maybe he's being super positive about it and that's making it better, but I can't fathom tearing a peck and then three months later, just two months later, just being like, I'm fine. Let's try playing NFL football. So I was in the locker room after the Cardinals game uh, on Halloween in which Alexander sustained that injury and um, seeing the way he was moving and talking with the trainers, he didn't seem at all concerned about it. And like I said, I don't know anything about these kind of injuries, but I will say it wasn't like he was in debilitating pain and couldn't move. And he was, he was trying to prove to the trainers that he was probably okay and he could play through whatever the injury was. Um, So, that's not to say it wasn't a significant injury. He obviously had surgery and he, his arm was in a sling for a while as recently as a couple weeks ago. I want to say, um, he's been on the sideline. He's been with the team obviously, but now he's back to doing agility things. And he's telling his teammates that he's planning on coming back for the playoffs. And what Kyle Shanahan did say, we talk about Richard Sherman being a fast healer. Kyle Shanahan put, Quan Alexander in that same boat that he's the type of athlete the type of healer somebody who might come back a lot sooner than a lot of other people would uh, from a similar injury so man and look like I'm I'm not comparing Quan Alexander to J.J. Watt but J.J. Watt is planning on coming back from the same injury in the playoffs too Um, and J.J. Watt is obviously a, a complete alien when it comes to his athleticism and you know the way he's built physically um so that would be legendary to borrow a term from (laughs) Quan alexander yeah and i'm sure if you ask Quan alexander how he's feeling that's exactly how what he would how he would respond um man that'd be bananas yeah but i mean the thing is too it's like drake greenlaw hasn't been incredible but he hasn't been bad um, particularly for, for a rookie fifth round pick thrust in the starting lineup. I don't think he's, um, I don't think he's been horrendous and he had that play against the Seahawks. So anyway, that's, that's the news for, uh, for the week, I guess, going through the pro bowl and, and Richard Sherman. And, um, do we, do we want to talk about matchups to watch now? Yeah. Okay. It's my favorite segment of the week. America's favorite segment of the week, even. Uh, that's debatable. Well, let's get to it. Um, if matchups to watch is your favorite segment, let us know on Twitter. Okay, go ahead. 
uh, 49ers interior of the offensive line versus Aaron Donald. Now, the big issue with the 49ers offensive line at the moment is that Ben Garland is your starting center. Ben Garland is the backup center because, or was the backup center because Weston Richburg was a starting center. He was lost two weeks ago to a torn patellar tendon in his right knee. And so now you have Ben Garland in who didn't play particularly well against Grady Jarrett. Um, no one along the 49ers interior really played well against Jarrett, and he was a big problem for them on Sunday. The, and the problem being that Aaron Donald is a much better version of Grady Jarrett and does similar things and is far more disruptive. Um, and Ben Garland is still playing center. And there's nothing the 49ers can really do about that. Compounding the issue is that right guard Mike Person hurt his neck early in that game and has been a limited participant in practice. He hasn't done a whole lot. And Person is the type of guy who seemingly gets hurt almost every game, or at least there are plays where it looks like he's in a ton of pain and he's on the verge of being down long enough to get looked at by trainers, but he gets himself up just in time before the officials call a timeout and then he gets back to the huddle and keeps playing. It seems like he's perpetually hurt, but never misses time because of it. And the 49ers have talked about how much they appreciate how tough he is and, and sort of the mental fortitude and all of those things that, that Mike person has, but it means it could mean at times that he's not nearly as productive <clears throat> as he could be when he's healthy. So you're dealing with your backup center playing and your starting right guard who's hurt against potentially Aaron Donald, who is the reigning two-time defensive player of the year and quite good at football. Yeah, I think for the Niners' interior line, it's not so much about stopping Donald. It's just keep him from completely destroying the game plan. Uh, he's going to win a fair amount of his matchups, r regardless really of what the 49ers do. It's just limiting his impact to, you know, maybe on a second and one he gets through and turns it into a third and three instead. Um, or maybe forces a throw away on first down. Um, but letting him get through and have two or three sacks and letting him hit running backs in the backfield and putting the 49ers behind the sticks, that's where he can really be a game wrecker. And as long as the 49ers can keep him from doing that, I think they have to count it as a victory. Yeah, and so that sort of transitions into the next matchup, which is the 49ers running game against the Rams defensive front. The Rams having allowed 263 yards and two 100-yard rushers uh, on, 40, on 45 carries to the Cowboys. Just a really uninspiring run defense effort from them. And you watch the game, it was like, like we said, they didn't want to tackle anybody. Yeah. <laughs> like, you had guys... You had guys jogging to the ball. You had tacklers getting run over. Bad angles. Bad angles. It was not the most impressive defensive effort from them, which could mean that they're just going to play with a whole lot more effort because that's the way things go in the NFL. It's it's very much like a pendulum league. Like you see one thing one week, and then the opposite happens as, as an overcorrection. And maybe that that's what happens with the Rams stopping the run. Um, I don't know how it's going to play out, but I do think it's interesting that Raheem Mostert now over these last four games is averaging 6.4 yards per carry. He's been really good. Uh, he's scored rushing touchdowns in the last four weeks, becoming the first 49ers running back to do that since Frank Gore in 2011. 
Um, so all of a sudden, the guy we all basically thought would be the third or fourth string running back going into the year is their leading rusher uh, for the season and the most productive back they have right now, which is interesting to say the least. And I'm very curious to see how that plays out in the playoffs because like Mostert isn't the classic like you you think of uh running backs who do really well in the playoffs you think of the big bruisers you know somebody like Derrick Henry or somebody like that like you go play in cold weather and uh and you just run it down somebody's throat like I don't know if the Niners have that guy on the roster particularly given the way Tevin Coleman's been struggling lately Mm -hmm. so we talk about the 49ers as a running team a physical team um, I do wonder how that's going to look in the playoffs uh, because of all the 49ers backs are, are really fast and speedy. And, uh, and I do wonder if what Mostert is doing is sustainable because he's never really done it for this long of a period in his entire career to this point. Right. And I think I'm really interested to see from the 49ers run game on Saturday what Tevin Coleman's role is. Because he's been so unproductive. But when you talk about the kind of hard-nosed, you need a tough yard, who's going to get it? He's really the only guy who does that. Um, Tevin Coleman, you said? Yeah. Well, you have Jeff Wilson Jr. And and Jeff Wilson Jr., I guess. But if, every, if everybody's healthy, I'm not even sure if he's up. So, <laughs> I mean, it, it's been the case for, for most of the year. But... I'm really interested to just see what Tevin Coleman's role is in this game. Did that 37-yard run, was that enough to kind of get him some more carries to see if they can get him rolling? And is that going to be something they prioritize over the last couple weeks is try and get him going again? Or is it just going to kind of be the Raheem Mostert or Matt Breida show while Coleman's role just kind of continues to to dry up? Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Um, Speaking of running game, I have no idea what to make of Todd Gurley right now because you look at Todd Gurley's game by game statistics. It's like two good games, one bad game, two productive games, one bad game. Like, so on Sunday, he had 11 carries for 20 yards. The two games before that, he combined to have 174 yards and 42 carries, a pair of touchdowns. The game before that, he had six carries for 22 yards. Then he had two pretty productive games and he had 44 yards. It's just like there's this weird pattern going on with him where every third game is is bad statistically, basically. And he's coming off a bad statistically, a statistically bad game. So is he going to bounce back and and be productive again for them? I just don't know what to make of it. And it sort of speaks to the inconsistency that the Rams have dealt with all year, which is one of the reasons why they're such a perplexing team. And I think a lot of that traces back to their struggles along the offensive line. Uh, Andrew Whitworth has really been their only consistent starter there. They've done a lot of shuffling. Their their offensive line has regressed a lot since last year, and it's probably the biggest reason that um, that the offense has become what it is compared to what it was is the fact that the line isn't nearly as productive. And, um, and so I just don't – I don't know what to make of the Rams offensive line and and Todd Gurley in particular, because they're a much harder team to play when Gurley's playing well, but you just don't know if Gurley is going to play well on a week in and week out basis. And now late in the year, given that he's had issues with his knee in the past, 
given where the Rams stand in terms of, you know, standings and there's very slim chances of making the playoffs, are they going to sell out with Todd Gurley and give it one last stand? Or are they just going to go in the offseason and try to make sure their star player is healthy going into next year because they're going to need him? The Niners should have had a, a pretty significant advantage in the trenches uh, with their defensive line against the Falcons offensive line. And that really wasn't the case on Sunday. That's the group that I expect to have really the biggest bounce back. And I, I think they do uh, a number on the Rams offensive line. And that probably means despite the pattern, a not so great game for Todd Gurley, uh, because I, I think the Niners are going to win that matchup uh, across the board. I, I know the defensive line kind of top to bottom hasn't been, great the last couple of weeks and maybe that's what's been contributing to their their uh, quote-unquote struggles defensively but I, I think we see a bounce back game from that group and I think we see Todd Gurley uh, not have a great game on, on Saturday night I think this is gonna be um, a pretty decisive win for the 49ers hmm um, I think the way they played la- last week was a pretty significant wake-up call and the fact now that they have a full understanding of how badly they need that first round bye and how they know they have to win these last two games to get said bye. Um, what's the stat? Like the last six teams from the NFC to go to the Super Bowl have had buys. Let's just run with that. I think it's six. The, there hasn't been an NFL team to make the Super Bowl that didn't have a first round bye since the 2012 Ravens. Okay, there you go. Did that make sense? Um, Did I say that right? Yeah. The 2012 Ravens were the last team to make the Super Bowl without a first-round bye. Yeah, so it's it's much, much more difficult to go on the road and have to win three road games than it would be to have a bye, uh, get at least one home game, and then go to the Super Bowl. So um, from an attrition standpoint, we talked about the, the difference in the 49ers defense because of the injuries that they've dealt with. Getting that by and just getting that extra week to keep your team healthy is just massive, really. And so I think the 49ers, particularly coming off that loss against the Falcons, are going to have that urgency to play really well on Saturday going into that Seahawks game uh, the following week. And we talked a lot about Kyle Shanahan's game plan and why it didn't really seem all that inspired against the Falcons. I think we see something closer to um, the Saints game plan or the game plan for the Saints game where not necessarily that like, you know, he's going to pull out all the trick plays and things like that, but I think Shanahan's going to open it up a lot more and it's not going to just be a bunch of check downs to George Kittle. Um, I think he's going to create a lot more for the receivers, do a lot more to get the ball in Debo Samuel's hands. Uh, whether that's you know bubble screens for him or more runs for him or whatever, get him in a rhythm, um, get Emmanuel Sanders going with some plays downfield after Sanders had just two catches for nine yards against the Falcons. Obviously, Kittle's going to be a major component of the game plan, but I think the Niners saw that record that was awaiting Kittle, the 128 yards he needed to become the all-time leader in receiving yards by a tight end in his first three seasons. I think that was sort of a focus, and no one's going to admit it, but I think that was the thing that the 49ers really wanted George Kittle to get that record in that game, and I think it sort of took away from the flow of the offense, and typically the 49ers do a really good job of spreading the ball around. Um, they have 13 guys with receiving touchdowns this year, which is a record 
uh, or ties a record in league history, um, according wow. to Elias. So I would expect them to spread the ball around a little bit more. Maybe you get Kendrick Bourne more involved than the, I think he had 11 yards or something like that on two catches or one catch, whatever it was. I know the receivers had four catches for 49 yards after having over 250 and three touchdowns against the Saints. So Basically, what I'm saying is I think it's going to be a much more multi-pronged approach when it comes to the passing offense Saturday against the Rams and what we saw against the Falcons. The question is, can the 49ers block Aaron Donald to make that passing game effective enough? And um, can the 49ers continue to battle through the attrition they're going through defensively, particularly now that they're on a short week? And which version of the Rams are we going to see? Because it's impossible to know because they're such an up and down team this year. Yeah, I'm I I'm fascinated for for what we see from the offense, just because of of how the the discrepancy between the Saints game and then the Falcons game was so vast that it feels like whatever we see from the Rams is going to be what we see for really the rest of the year. Uh, if they can't bounce back against LA, I think my confidence level and their ability to, to go in and beat the Seahawks and then go win a playoff game, whether it's on the road against the Cowboys or Eagles or, or what have you. Um, I I'm, I'm not, I, I don't want to say I'm concerned, but I'm much less confident uh, than you are going into this game. Uh, just because we we have seen some slippage from the defense, we have seen some some up and down performances from the offense, and if they go in and and beat the Rams by thirty and they look great on both sides of the ball, that that's great. I just think there's some question marks that need to get answered first um, before I'm I'm ready to say that they're going to go dominate a a divisional game against what's still a very talented team. Agree. I uh, I just think overall this is going to look a little bit more like the, in my opinion, and this is a prediction, hot take, whatever. Um, I think this is going to look, look look more like the Packers game than maybe that Cardinals game that was a lot closer than we thought, or the Falcons game. Obviously, I, I just think this team is is going to be much more locked in, play with a lot more intensity, and I think when they are like that. And when Kyle Shanahan is uh, is pulling the strings like we know he can, which I don't think he did very well on Sunday, I just think they're a much better team than the Rams right now. And I think, um, you know, I, I it's funny like the, how how quickly the narrative shifts. I mean, there's a, I, the the right take about where the 49ers are coming off the Saints game is that it was a letdown performance against the Falcons, and that. Um, I don't think there's a whole lot to worry about, but it is funny seeing like, oh man, you have that win against the Saints, and then you just cancel it out with the loss of the Falcons. Like, nah, no, they didn't really cancel. It no, like they that. didn't. They didn't cancel it out, and it wouldn't. <laughs> it wouldn't shock me, you know, if they do go in and and uh, just I'm gonna say handle business against the Rams. I, that certainly wouldn't surprise me. Um, but the really rapid. It's like I said. It's not so much that they they didn't have an identical performance that they did against the Saints because had they come out and scored forty eight again, that would have been ridiculous. But just the the four for forty nine from the receivers, and 
the the Brita fumble and just there were there were there were so many things that just kind of went wrong that that I'm I'm anxious to see if they can they can get closer to that what we saw against the Packers or what we saw kind of against the Saints I I, I just I don't know the the contrast is so weird that I have no idea what to make of them right now yeah I I just don't if Richard Sherman plays there's probably two or three long Julio Jones receptions that don't happen. You're right. You're right. You're right. And then the Niners win by, you know, maybe it's it's 22 to – maybe it's 22-17. They win by five or whatever that score was. Um, And we're not even talking about, like, there's any concern, but you don't have Richard Sherman against one of the best receivers of a generation, I think. You know, obviously that matters. So getting him back – this week is is going to be really important and obviously that has effect on the offense as well when the defense is playing well giving you better field position um the falcons did do a pretty good job of controlling field position in that game too um but anyway do you have anything anything else about uh about 49ers rams you want to hit on before we check out of here no but i think the i think the game is gonna (laughs) no but i'm gonna say something I think I think no, but yes. I think the game is the Rams game is going to really set the tone for the the not just the Seahawks game but really I think the rest of the the postseason. I think if they go lay an egg against the Rams and even if they beat them but kind of squeak by them, I think it's going to be really tough for for them going into that Seahawks game to kind of get up for the Seahawks and then get up for a road playoff game or even a, a home divisional game. Like it's just, um, I don't know, man. I, I have that week six game just kind of stuck in the back of my head. I mean, the Niners defense really just destroyed the Rams that game. I know it. And that's, that's, I'm not making a prediction. But that was a game. different, I have nothing the because the reason, the reason I keep stumbling over what I'm saying is because, I can to- like I want I-, I can totally see what you're saying and it's kind of a mirror of the Packers game where they go win, you know, by by twenty plus. I-, I think they're that good. I think they can win the Super Bowl. But with the injuries they have and just with how, how strange the offense looked last week, I-, I have reservations, I guess. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Um so the Niners I think the Niners are gonna win though. I kind of look at... Um, That's my prediction. They're going to win. Yeah, I think. I've said that. I think they're going to win. But I look at... So, I don't know how valid this is, but remember very early in the season, they they had the long trip. They stayed out in Ohio between weeks one and two. After staying in Youngstown, they had 571 yards against the Bengals. Came back, had a really... Just not great offensive performance against the Steelers. Turned the ball over five times and still managed to win that game. It was offensively sluggish. They were, for whatever reason, just not very good. Um, I think there are some parallels to draw from that Steelers game, particularly offensively, to the Falcons game in that the 49ers were coming off a road, a long road trip, a really good offensive showing in New Orleans. They, they obviously stayed in Florida between Baltimore and New Orleans games came back and struggled like they did um, against the Steelers, against the Falcons. So 
the following week after beating the Steelers. They had a bye, but then they came out and destroyed the Browns, 31-3, to right? 446 yards. Just that game was never really close. I'm not saying the Niners are going to blow them out, but I think there could be a pattern in that, particularly offensively with the focus and you, you need to run Kyle Shanahan's offense, which is so precise in, in terms of execution. Um, I think there's there was some sort of energy level issue that they had coming off that long trip in that home opener against the Steelers that was that they had also against the Falcons and maybe the Rams game also in prime time keep in mind like that Browns game was maybe the Rams game offers them a, another rebound I don't know that's just my guess I think the Niners are going to play well and it wouldn't surprise me at all if they won by double digits because uh, they're really good and uh, I don't trust the Rams to really do anything and maybe maybe the Rams come out and throw the kitchen sink at the Niners and it ends up being a close game but just given everything that's on the line for the 49ers and how they've pretty much answered the bell um every time this year with maybe the exception of a couple fluky scenarios and obviously losing at Baltimore on on a last second field goal isn't really all that much to hang your head about uh I just I trust the 49ers in this situation because um, we've seen them do it this year. You know what else kind of stood out to me today was was all the quotes coming out of coming out of the locker room and out of the facility of all the players saying that they took time to realize they need to get back on track and focus and and they know what's at stake now, which leads me to believe that everybody kind of took a week off against the Falcons. And I don't know if anybody will ever tell you that, but uh, that's how it felt. And, I, and the quotes today really hammered that home for me that uh, it was, I don't want to say a wake-up call, but it was definitely a reminder of of how difficult the NFL can be. So I, Saturday I'm, night. I'm expecting them I'm expecting them to bounce back, but I have reservations, like I said. I am on the internet, which never lies, and according to the internet, there is now a 90% chance of rain Saturday night. So keep in mind, duly noted, showers early becoming a steady rain late. Chance of rain 90%, rainfall around half an inch. So maybe not a ton of rain, but you got to remember, Jared Goff, small hands, might struggle in the weather. You know what? Great point. (laughs) All right. I think that's all we got tonight. Uh, We're going to wrap this thing up. Please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to Candlestick Chronicles on the Blue Wire Network. Go check out all of the other podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. I think there are like 70 of them. Um, they're kicking ass. NBA, NFL, tons of teams. Just a lot of, a lot of good stuff. In, in there. What's that? I think we got some hockey in there. Some hockey. There's some uh, rumors of some um, other very interesting things to come that I can't speak on. But uh, Good but tease. Blue, good Blue tease. Wire. Blue Wire is doing some things. So, uh, yeah, check check us out uh, wherever you get your pods. And we will talk to you guys early next week uh, to preview what is undoubtedly going to be the biggest game of the year, regardless of how Saturday comes down, uh, because the 49ers are going to have to go to the Seattle Seahawks and win a game where they haven't won since 2011. And it will be fast, a probably the most fascinating game the most fascinating way possible to, to end this year, I think. So uh, looking forward to that. Looking forward to the weekend. I'll see you Saturday, Kyle. 
Everybody else, enjoy the game. Hey, uh, try to stay dry. Are you wearing an ugly sweater? Uh, I haven't bought one yet. Are you just going to keep saying that until you don't end up buying If you don't want to do it, we don't have to. I'm going to. I know you are. <laughs> um, I have a sweater vest. I, I was Quail Man for Halloween. Mm. And uh, and I have the, the Doug Funny green sweater vest somewhere that maybe I could pull out. But I don't know if I don't have an ugly sweater. I mean, maybe I can just go to Target and find one. It's fine if, if you don't want If it's that important to you. It's not, it, it's like, it's, I mean, it's. Keep in, keep in mind, I'm, I'm more Jewish than. That's true. Than my That's Christian. True. So. All right. Anyway. I'm getting we out can, of it. We can find non-denominational ugly sweaters. We'll, we'll make it happen. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll get, talk to you next get week. Get one with your face on it. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.